By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everyone. This is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. We have our Clubhouse manager, Laika, today. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. So this we've been doing this for about a year now, a bit more than a year. What is the, um, how many episodes have we done on Clubhouse so far? So we, uh, we started July 8th, I think. Um, now we're on the 78th episode. So Oh, my long. goodness. That's crazy. <laughs> Right. So we are on the 78th episode of Clubhouse, uh, the Italian Wine Club. And this is what we call the Ambassadors Corner, where we have one of our Italian wine ambassadors at large. They get to invite one of their favorite Italian wine producers. And we have a, a little bit more like a fireside chat style. And today we have with us Tanya. Um, and Tanya, of course, is our Italian wine ambassador. Tanya, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you have been up to lately? Mm. Um, well, my name is Tanya Morningstar, and I'm just so happy to be connected with you guys like this. It's still magic for me. I'm like a child with technology. Right now, I spend a lot of time back and forth between um, Italy and the United States. I live in Seattle. I'm working on, I have a school called Cellar Muse. I am an ambassador of Orvieto Wines. I'm the global education ambassador. And one of our big projects lately has been to create ambassadors for Orvieto wines around the world. And this is actually the project that connected me with Ricardo um, about four years ago. And we're seeing some real blossoming of that project. It's really exciting. I'm working on an important project for me with the Wine Scholar Guild um, and the research into how we taste and share wine together um, and how we write and talk about it. And yeah, I'm an Italian wine ambassador with the Italy Academy and I'm super proud of that. And I love this community. Yes, so you have a very big guest today, uh, Mr. Ricardo Cottarella. I call him kind of in jest the, the godfather of Italian wine. 
I had the pleasure of working with Ricardo uh, both for the um, Expo, Wine Expo, the Pavilion at the 2015, the World Expo. We He curated, he was the president, of course, of this um, curation of the Vinitaly and Wine Pavilion. And also he's the president of Asonology. So we get to do the wine competition. Um, it's called Five Star Wines every year. So I know Ricardo very, very well. Right. It will be the first time I hear him in English. It's, mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. So, and why don't you tell us a little bit about how you met Ricardo? Mm. Well, um, as I already mentioned, I fell in love with the wines of, of Orvieto. And um, as a wine historian, someone who is always looking at why things are the way that they are, and also um, wanting to be involved with projects that really are about shared fate and something uh, bigger than myself. Um, uh, I proposed to, I started to get to know some of the producers there and get to know the wines better and realized that there was something that I could really offer to help the world to get to know and understand these wines in the context that I think that they deserve. And so through that, I met um, Enzo Barbie and, and we became friends and he started to advocate for my idea. And one of the first things he did was connect me um, with Ricardo, the first time that I officially came there to do my research. And I had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Ricardo then and now have been friends with him for a number of years and he's been really supportive of this project. So Ricardo is an inspiration to me, as you'll see, I think, through this interview in terms of how he really also shares, I believe, this idea of big picture, um, something bigger than ourselves through our work. So Yeah, Enzo Barbie is also a friend of Initial International Academy. We do have his wine as one of the benchmark wines uh, for Orvieto for a very long time. Uh, so that's very exciting. And what, you know, as you know, we're, as you know, we're very geeky around here. So we ask our ambassadors who's hosting, what the learning objectives might be for today's call with Ricardo today. Mm. Well, I'd like to start with with a quote that um, that really inspires me and and makes me um, think of this kind of the work that we that Ricardo is doing, and that is a quote from 20th century French enologist Emile Peynot. He said um, that tradition is experimentation that worked, and um, my experience of Ricardo is that he is really rooted in the cultural legacy that he's involved with, but that he's curious, open, and and always moving forward. So this idea that it's really not, that tradition isn't fixed. And this is something that I want to explore with Ricardo. I feel that he really is adapting kind of dynamically between this idea of innovation and um, the past. So I hope to understand more about his perspective on this impression that I have. And I think that through that, I'm hoping that we're all going to learn something about the state of Italian wine today. Okay, so Tanya, over to you. And Ricardo, I will be listening, but I will be shutting up. I know you're not used to me shutting up, but I will be quiet for now. And if you need me, I will I will come back. Okay, so take it away, Tanya. All right. So I think that Stevie kind of began to describe Ricardo's um, legacy of work, which is really um, quite large. And so that means we're really grateful to having him today and taking the time because 
He's got his foot into lots of very important projects, including the president of the um, Inologia, also the the International Association of Winemakers, and um, his winery Falesco projects in Orvieto. He's also the managing director of of Monrubio Cooperative in Orvieto. So. Um, he's a really busy man. He consults, I think, more than 80 wineries in Italy and worldwide um, and has won a lot of awards. So I just want to kind of reiterate some more of those wonderful details about Ricardo. First of all, I want to say that I'm really a fan of, of Falesco and have been drinking those wines for 25 years, <laughs> um, I'm sure. And and also I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times. Ricardo has an interesting way of working with both preserving international, um, I mean, uh, traditional grape varieties, indigenous grape varieties in Italy, and working with international grape varieties um, as well. And so in this dynamic, I'd like to start with a question. I would like to open with your perspective, Ricardo, on what drives you and ask you if you could dream of knowing the impact your efforts have made on Italian wine by hearing what people would say about you in 50 years, what would you hope to hear them say about your contributions to Italian wine? Well, what I, what I dream, first of all, that I put all my passion to produce a very good wine for my country because I, I am convinced that Italy, the, the Italian people, no, blame for too much time without discovering, without discovering the, the very important uh, product that our land can offer to the producer. I hope that the people, when thinking about me in 15 years, can say, okay, Ricardo was a very, very passionate winemaker, very passionate discoverer, very passionate uh, wine lover. But first of all, Ricardo discovered a very important a no place by his passion, by his professionality, by his dream to give to Italy the very, very important in the world. Mm. I, I, I love that you really want to lift up the wines of your country. And that's um, you know, not an ego-driven um, objective. And it really shows what I think is this earnest generosity that I admire so much. Um, I really, I, I want to ask you some questions about, um, your experience in your career and also how that can, is in the context of Italian history. You came into your calling as a winemaker in a very important moment in the history of Italian wine. And I think that for Italian wine lovers to understand the impact of the 1960s, um, on contemporary Italian wine is um, can't be understated. In the 1960s, for for listeners, um, something really hap- important happened in terms of social shift in Italy, and that was that basically sharecropping was abolished. They, it was known as <clears throat> mesandria, and this was um, up until the 1960s. Essentially, we had wealthy and noble landowners. Uh, who owned the land and farmers essentially paid, you know, a portion of their harvest to the owner, which didn't really inspire, um, give a lot of incentive for the people who are growing the grapes to make the very best wine they could possibly make. They just um, really needed to make food. So um, when that shift happened, it really catapulted Italian, the Italian wine landscape 
into a quest of self-discovery and identity. And, um, and you were positioned right at the perfect moment to be a part of that. That's the Italy that you grew up in, Ricardo. I'm wondering how you feel coming into the industry at that moment um, really affected um, the, the path that you took in your work. Well, in a certain sense, I consider myself very lucky because uh, uh, I entered at the beginning of the revolution in the wine in, in, in Italy. What does it mean revolution? So don't forget that 60 years ago, or maybe less, in my country exists white and red wine without distinction between north, south, and the center of Italy, without distinction Tuscany and Sicily, just red wine, because we didn't have any idea about the high quality wine. Because that in, at the time, the consume for, for year, for each people was 130 liters each. Now is a 30 liter each, but we increase so much the quality of the wine. Now Italy is one of the most important countries in the world to offer so different quality of the wine, so different territory, different climate, different habitat, the different vines, quality and clones, variety and clones. So I think that the, the revolution transformed the Italy like a normal or under normal uh, country producer, uh, wine producer, and today, thanks to this revolution, in a certain sense, we discovered so many wines that in the past didn't exist. In the middle of this revolution, I, I found myself inside, and I consider this a very good occasion for me to explain my passion in making wine. So in other words, the, Italy, the Italian wine today are another planet respect to 60 or 50 years ago. So you, you, speak, you spoke before about the Orlieto wine, Tanya. So Orlieto mm -hmm. wine, 30 years ago, maybe less, was a white wine without character, without personality, without anything. It's a correct wine. You taste so many important Orlieto that display the potential of this territory. But like Orlieto, you can find so many, many other wines from north to south of my country. So today, Italy is completely transformed for the production of the high quality wine respect to the past. And I was very lucky because I was inside of this type of revolution. I hope that in a certain sense, I gave all my contribution to this revolution. Thank you. And, you know, in, with that being said, I want to follow up a little bit um, with, with your answer. You, you consult, have worked with big wineries and also really small wineries. Um, yeah. You have, um, you, I'll get later to, um, to talk about international grape varieties, but um, I would like you to talk about what the, the meaning of your work with smaller appellations that you mentioned, you know, you, the Terra di Lavoro is one of the important early projects for you. Um, yeah. And uh, can you talk a little bit about, about what it means to work with, um, with bigger, more established wineries and regions um, versus these smaller appellations and producers? Yeah, um, well, uh, let me explain my philosophy when I start with my career. 
Uh, at the beginning, um, one or two uh, wineries estates offered me to the collaboration with them in Tuscany. But I didn't, I didn't say no because uh, I was convinced that uh, my mission was to discover other places in my country, especially in the south, in the south of Italy. But for discovering the new territory, the new winery, the new estate, I needed at the time the very small estate, familiar estate, because it's not easy to make the experiment with a big winery because they are too busy not to produce, to, to make the experiment. Ferre de Lavoro was one of these many, many other little estates that I, where I, I made my experiments. First of all, to study the soil, the chemical, physical characteristics, the climate. And after this, I, I discovered the best roots that I can use in the soil. Uh, over the roots, the best clone of the varietal. So I spent no less than 10 years in my career to make experiments in the sense. Mm. And thanks to my passion, my conviction, you know, I gave my contribution to a lot of the say, little, but also for the biggest say, that by the experiment, by the passion of the producer, then in a certain sense, we create a new brand, like Terra di Lavoro, like Montiano, like Montevetrano, <clears throat> like Don Antonio. But I was convinced that the, the, the research of the very important wines in Barato were in the south of Italy. Because in the settings in north of Italy, Tuscany, Piedmont, uh, Veneto, no, in the certain sense, at the time, 30 or 40 years ago, they, they knew no, that they, they produced a good wine. I mean, the South was a tragedy about the quality in the past. Now, thank to God, the quality of the South are very, very good in every, very region, especially with a very typical variety. Think about, I don't know, Merello Mascalese for the Etna Mountain. Think about Negramaro, Primitivo, Ianico, Montepulciano. So uh, it's a very, very rich place for producing very indigenous varietal. All my country, but especially in the South. Um, I mean, really, for those who love Italian wine, you know, opening our minds to, um, to, the fact that we'll never kind of grasp the incredible diversity of Italian wine is part of the joy. I think that that's what attracts people, a certain type of person to love Italian wine is this, um, that you have to be kind of comfortable with, um, with the fact that there's so much more than you'll ever grasp. And so much that is um, to discover that's so deeply um, rooted in in the tradition and, and history of a, of a people and a place that goes so far back in terms of winemaking styles and also indigenous grape varieties. But you are also known for innovating and making wine from international varieties um, on Italian terroirs. And I'm curious how, what this means to you in context of preserving traditional or, or indigenous grape varieties um, and how you would describe um, how you think terroir and tradition intersect with innovation in your work? 
Well, um, first of all, when I discover a new place, I try to find a very important indigenous variety. Unfortunately, my country is the richest in this sense about the indigenous. But we have also other terroir that we discovered by the international variety. Think about Bulgaria, for example. Don't try to plant in Bulgaria Sangiovese or Montepulciano because the result is a tragedy. Planting the natural variety, today Bulgaria is one of the most famous places for Italian producing. I have a personal idea what does it mean indigenous. Indigenous is not just the vine, the variety that exists from many, many years in this place. For me, indigenous means the variety that can display the potential of this place. For me, indigenous means this. If I plant Sangiovese in Piedmont, no, it's impossible. But if I plant Nebbiolo um, in Tosca, it's a tragedy. But if I plant Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, to Bulgaria, or maybe in the Lazio region, okay, the result is very, very good, very, very nice discovery. So for me, indigenous means the variety that can explain in the best way the potential of this place. Absolutely. About the terroir and the tradition, well, as you know, Tanya, the wine is one of the most ancient products that the, 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 the vines gave us and the way make it transforming wine, okay? But during the centuries, during the year, okay, the wine uh, had easy evolution about the, the innovation. The wine that you taste today is different than the wine to taste 30 years ago from the same terroir, from the same producer. What changed in this time? Not the soil, the climate changed, but not by the, by the people. The only thing that changed was the technology and the science that they put in the vineyard and the winery. This means, this means innovation. But think about the tradition. I, I keep soil, I keep, I keep vines, I keep varietal, I keep roots, I change the approach with my technology. I don't know, Tanya, sorry, maybe if I can explain in a quiet way my philosophy by my bad English. I hope so, but this is my conviction. Tanya, can I yeah. say my, my, my opinion in my English? Yes, it's yes, I do think you're doing a good job. Thank you. <laughs> it's very difficult uh, for me, but I try. You do, you do. And I think that, um, you know, we do often when we're speaking, um, you speak Italian and I speak English, and that works pretty well. I'm hoping after this summer, I'm going to be there for a um, couple months with my children and I'm going to go to school. So I'll be much okay. better after that. Okay, okay. Yes. Me too, me too. <laughs> but um, I really, I think it's, it's, it's so interesting to me to really embrace this idea that identity and typicity aren't fixed, you know, in um, just because a culture has ancient uh, roots, you know, and I think as Americans, that's often a um, a misconception um, that that is important to really dispel. We have somebody, um, Stevie, who is asking if he can speak. 
Um, and I don't know, Stevie's the monitor, so I'll let her. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll pull that. them up, um, you know, when you're done with your interview. Okay, good, good. I just noticed that, so I wanted to let you handle it. Um, so, uh, Ricardo, I want to, um, let's see, I wanted to talk about um, more about legacy and the projects that you're working on. Um, oh, actually, I wanted to ask you to tell this funny little story um, that you told me before or to talk about um, how it was that you came to be known as um, as kind of Mr. Merlot or the person who really brought Merlot to central Italy, which I think is you know brilliant. This is on this idea that that I am typicity that to bring a grape from somewhere else, actually, this has been happening throughout time. The Venetians brought grapes with them. The Greeks brought grapes with them. Grapes have been moving forever, right? Um, and so I'm wondering if you can just talk about um, Merlot a little bit and the place that it found in the terroirs um, of Umbria um, in particular. Um, and, and tell us a little bit about that. And also maybe a bit about how the the press or the way that it's been written about has been conflated or um, or or um, presented your love of Merlot. <laughs> well, Merlot was the first varietal that I experimented in my country for the very occasional um, uh, without project. I found Merlot in a very little estate. It was my first experiment. At the same time, my first visit to Bordeaux, I had occasion to taste very, very important Merlot, very important Cabernet Franc, very important Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah, uh, the other red variety from this place. But Merlot was my first experiment. And um, why I like this variety immediately? Because it's a very generous variety. You can make the wine like... Uh, very simple wine, or very young wines, or the wine that can age for many years. But I put my career, in my career, I spent maybe 1,000 varietal. I started with the Merlot, my... Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Merlot was one of the many, a lot of varieties that I spent in my career. So... 43 years of my career, working, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe uh, 16 or 17 countries in the world, you know, with a different variety of different climate, different uh, people. You know? So I had the, the occasion to experiment so many varieties, not just Merlot. Maybe with, just with Merlot, my career could be very, very boring. <laughs> uh, you told me a story um, once when we were talking about how um, a French journalist asked you, um, you know, how much you loved Merlot, and you. Oh yes, yes. talked about. <laughs> funny. Can you tell that story? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, many many years ago, at the Venita in Verona. Uh, so I introduced my first Merlot, the first my experiment. And uh, a French journalist called me, how much do you love Merlot? Do you love Merlot? 
so much, my answer. How much? Well, maybe I like so much that I would like to put in, in my cappuccino in the morning. No. <laughs> I became Mr. Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny part of this story in some ways yeah. is that um, at that time, uh, people drank wine for breakfast with their cappuccino. <laughs> so it's just a regular thing, right? Just means I like it every day. <laughs> every day, every day. Every day. Um, well, I want to kind of move to Orvieto a little bit because this is our, you know, shared um, passion and, and project um, to really help the world to see um, the the dynamic complexity and potential of Orvieto wines. And you were born in the Orvieto zone and you live in the Orvieto yeah, yeah, zone. Yeah. Um, and we, to, you know, we, we hope to reveal to the world that this is one of the truly great zones for white wine production um, due to its unique set of diverse soil terroirs and profound historical um, richness of the place, the town, the the zone, um, and and really and the wines. Um, and so within Orvieto, you consult several wineries, and then as I mentioned, you're also the managing director of Monrubio, which is Orvieto's um, largest of the two cooperatives. Um, so can you talk to us for a moment about um, what Orvieto means to you in the arc of your career, and also um, right now, um, going forward in your career, what do you want people to understand? Well, uh, Orvieto is my wine because I was born in Orvieto. I live in Orvieto. A lot of producers of Orvieto is my friend, are my friend. Orvieto is my heart because um, I love the place, I love the producers, I love the people, I love the wine, I love the grapes. So in my my approach in this area was always more uh, professional because uh, I am convinced that Orvieto is one of the most important Italian white wines. The only problem that Orvieto started researching the quality just 10-15 years ago. Before it was a normal white wine. Fortunately, the set of producers like Marubio, like Enzo Barbi, where I am um, the consulting, decide to make the experiments. And today, Orvieto is a very important white wine in my country. Also because of the, uh, the innovation, especially in the, in the vines, in the varietal, we introduce, we put the focus in the most important white varietal called Grichetto, reduce the percentage, the percentage of Trebbiano. We use the skin contact before the fermentation. So we transform the technology in the vineyard in the wine. We need the people like you, Tania, that can explain around the world what is the Orvieto wine. We need the communication for this wine because I'm sure that when the, the, you know that the, when the people taste the Orvieto, the people like, like this wine. And uh, all my family is involved in this wine. My brother Renzo, my daughter Dominga, my son in law Pier Paolo, all my family love Orvieto, Orvieto wine, because we are convinced, we are convinced that Orvieto needs 
needs absolutely high quality like we are going to get it but first of all Orlando need to be uh, to be well known around the world so Tanya please continue your work <laughs> your passion to do your in the world please oh I definitely plan on continuing my work and for me <clears throat> actually I was speaking with somebody yesterday who said you know I, I think of you as um you know as a person who, uh, you know, I, I obviously I focus on Bourgogne wines a lot, and um, the white wines of Bourgogne are my great a great love and passion of mine as well. But she said, "Do you really put Orvieto in the same category for yourself?" And I said, "Absolutely. The it's yeah. such an exciting wine, and even you know the the variety of styles that are produced." Um, of, of white wine styles that are produced in this region because of the diverse ty- terroirs and the fact that the climate permits to make, um, you know, wines that range from dry to unctuously, you know, sweet um, it, is truly exciting. And even though sparkling wine is not part of the Disciplinare or the DOC, um, the sparkling wines are amazing. Um, so yeah. it's really just, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and these wines, there are wines that you can drink right now that are just like ref- so refreshing. You, you're brought to your childhood almost to an innocence. And then there are wines that you, you know are going to age for many, many years and deepen in their complexity. And so for me, if I could spend the rest of my life, you know, in one place, you know, that could be it because, all the, there's so many different pleasures to be had there. Um, but this isn't a, a interview about my opinion, but I did want to say those things. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. <laughs> um, but along those lines, you were talking about family. And um, I know, you know, your commitment to your community and your country um, and th- your the land is is evident. Um, but also family is really important to you. Um, you work very closely, um, both personally and professionally with your brother. Um, and your family seems to be, um, uh, very central to your identity. In fact, the name of your company is Familia Cotarella, right? Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit and where Familia Cotarella is going? Why we call uh, our estate Falesco? Because Falesco means from Monte Casco is the place where we start with our estate, not Orlazzo, close to the border with the Umbra. But Falesco, because uh, uh, I, I was, I am a consulting winemaker for a lot of wineries. My brother uh, is the CEO of Dantinori. So we consider not correct to call our state Cotarella because our name was involved with so many other activities for the other people. But when, four years ago, we gave the state to our daughters, they told us, we don't have any other job. We work just for our state, we are Cotarella, since now, the name will be Familia Cotarella. Okay. For this reason, we transport Falesco in Familia Cotarella. But also because I think that the wine needs to be recognized, you know, with the name of the family producer or with the name of the, the company producer. Okay. 
fortunately, Cotarella name is a quite well known in the world. So in this sense, we put our knowledge you know, also in the mind of the consumer in our wines. And uh, as you know, my family is completely involved. Now our three daughters, one my two of my brothers, our uh, son-in-laws um, are involved completely in our state. It's a good state that is uh, situated in North Lazio and South Umbria, very close, divided by the Tiber River. And uh, so a very important state because we have more than 200 hectares, means uh, more or less 600 acres, uh, a nice winery, very technology. And so uh, today, today this winery represents maybe the people think, no, no, I can say this, but all people say that it's one of the most important one in the center of Italy. And they were very proud because our daughter are managing this estate very, very well. It's wonderful. I, I love um, following your your daughters on on social media and um, and and they're beautiful. So it's really also the the winery is. Um, can everybody hear me? Okay. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, I'm just making sure my earbuds have their battery charged. Um, I, so. I, one thing I love about Falesco is the diversity of wines that you're presenting, you know, from uh, your Merlot to, can you tell us about some of the local varieties that you're um, playing with at um, Familia Cotarella? Well, um, as you know, Umbria and Lazio had uh, two poor regions about a very important varietal. Okay, we have Sagrantino, but Sagrantino is situated in very particular place in Umbria, okay? We have San Giovese, but we are so close to Tuscany. So um, we put our attention in uh, Merlot for the rest and uh, for, for the red wines. And, for, and our attention in a very special variety called Rossetto, white mm-hmm. variety. Uh, by this, we produce not, not just sparky wine, classic medium, but also very important wine that can age for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Vermentino or Syrah is another important variety that we, we grow in the Lazio region. So my essay represents a sort of experimental essay because, as you know, I teach at the university. So my state is the, the place where my students uh, get experience, uh, make the experiment. So thanks to them, uh, we study very, very deep deep away my estate the soil the land everything i this last time i was in orvieto um this summer i had um both the traditional method sparkling rosetto and the, and the still one that you make yeah. and wow i just i loved it um i really felt that capability first of all the structural propensity to make a great sparkling wine um yeah was really beautiful. And in the still wine, I really felt the nobility of the ageability and the, the longevity potential of that wine was just um, really brought me a lot of pleasure. I, I, I thought that was, it really interested me a lot. Um, I guess, yeah, loved it. I'm, and those wines are not in my market. So, you know, 
I usually when I'm there in Orvieto, I'm thinking only about Orvieto wines. So it was really um, great to taste those wines. And even when I've been to Falasco, you know, we are talking about, um, you know, Garchetto and Procanico. And so it was wonderful to um, to taste those wines. Um, I guess I want to finish before we open up to some questions um, by um Obviously, we've been talking about all the different projects and advocacy for wine and wine culture that you're involved in in Italy and and globally as well. Um, And is there some project that you're working on that you haven't shared with us that you'd like to touch upon that's really um, moving you at the moment? Well, my life, my career is uh, always plenty of projects (laughs) because my life (laughs) I want to be involved in the experiment in discovery territory. But before that, okay, I like discovery territory in the vines. But first of all, I like to discover the people because uh, every people approach the, the viticulture, the knowledge in a different way, the different passion. Okay, if you know the Italian producer, they are completely different from French producer, from Spanish producer. Think about the Japanese people, no? Are you are involved with the Japanese people in Japan who produce the wine? So their approach is completely different, another way, so precise, so so fast, because they want to to be, they are very proud about the, this country, their country. So they want to do the best wine. Or think about, I don't know, other places, Israel, Palestine, or Spain, Spain, in Spain, in the United States. So the last project. It's not so usual project because uh, the Pope, Francis, called me to produce the wine in Vatican. Wow. And uh, yes, maybe we, we planted two hectares of the vineyard, okay? And the next time, next year, we produce the first wine. So you know that the surprise for the customer is very, very high, the surprise, because, oh, oh my God, the Vatican State produces the wine. Why not? Because why? Why? Why Vatican State cannot produce the wine? So, but yeah, other project very very funny in a certain sense. No, mm-hmm. for the, for example, the last wine to Mallorca Island. No, or I don't know in um, Bulgaria or in England mm-hmm. or Georgia. Today, I conclude the collaboration with very important producer in Georgia. So, in a certain sense, I don't abandon the, the, the place that I discovered in the past because I prefer, I, I like to keep this place and to increase this place. But at the same time, I, I am very curious not to discover the place in the world because in every place that I discover, I know I discover new people, new vines new territory, new soil, and new climate. And for me, it's the reason that convinced me to continue with my career. Because, Tanya, I am 75. I can say stop. I need to, be re- I, I, I need to rest. No, I, I, I rest just if I, I, I am in the middle of the vines, in the middle of the wine. Mm. There's so much more that I want to talk to you about that's um, come to my mind, but I think it's for another conversation. I'm so excited. Um, that actually, I'm also excited that we're bringing um, some people from the UK to Orvieto in June to make some new yeah. ambassadors. And um, yeah. in 
interested in sharing and learning about your projects there as well. I also really feel that um, excited about your project for the Pope because it it within a historical context as an Orvietano, <laughs> it really <laughs> makes sense that you would um, be asked to do this project since um, how many seven seven popes was it that um, that spent time in Orvieto? Yeah, in the yeah, yeah seven. seven seven popes lived in Orvieto. We we a very ancient story about the feeling between Orvieto and the Pope. But um, now, as you know, we are the Pope from Argentina. Mm -hmm. His family come from Piedmont, no? Mm. And he has the passion for the wine. He asked me why we don't plant the Argentina varietal, no, like Malbec. So we are in Italy. No, we did not plant Malbec. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, sorry, we are not in Italy, we are in Vatican State, but always mm. in Italy, in the middle of Italy. Yeah. I'm very, very exciting project, this one, because uh, I think that all the, all the world we speak about the, the one with the Pope. And Tanya, it would be one of the first people that uh, uh, will taste this wine, I believe. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. That is fun. I'm going to be there soon, in a few months. So, <laughs> And then I'll be there again and again and again. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's so wonderful to hear your voice. And I, I think that it's time to open this back up to Stevie. And, um, and also there's some people that have some questions. So um, Stevie, you want to come yeah, on in? Well, you guys, thank you so much. I don't, I'm, I am actually in New York at the moment, so I don't have my roadcaster with the special effects, <laughs> but this is where I would put in um, a school of applause but I don't have that. So, Ricardo, no yeah. fai proprio schifo in inglese, dai. That's <laughs> true. He's like, you know, he pinged me before coming on. He's like, I think I need to speak in Italian. And I'm like, no, no, just try. Ricardo, your Italian Tanya, really, Tanya, really, Tanya. really oh, is Tanya. not that bad. But Ricardo, um, so if in the audience, if you have a question, please put, um, put up your hands. And I will bring you up onto the stage. But Ricardo, I have two questions for you. One a little bit kind of fun um, and one a little bit kind of heavy. Which one do you want first? <laughs> Where you want? Which you want? Okay. So the first one is, you know, you, you call them um, sisters, Cotarella sisters, but they're actually not sisters, right? Yeah. Can you explain to us exactly what the roles of Malta, um, Dominga, and of, of course, um, Erica. Erica. Yeah. Tell us how the roles are divided and why they're called sisters, even if they're not. Well, um, my family, I think there's a very special um, relationship. I, my family is, is uh, Renzo, hi, my wife, my sister-in-law, my niece, and my daughter. So, my so you have one wife, daughter, and the other yes. two are nieces. Yes. Right. But Renzo and I, we live in the same house. Yeah, it's crazy. Yes. <laughs> no, no, it's a very nice thing, believe me. And uh, my daughter, my, my wife, my sister-in-law, stay all day together. All days. Basically, they are 
so close, more than two sisters. Right. In this in this situation, our daughters learned to be very very close between them. So they call my sister or my sister, and the people think that I have three daughters and my my brother has three it's, daughters. Exactly. Exactly. But they, they are, uh, that's they what the I same. thought. They, they are the same. Yeah. They are the same. But so, how are the roles um, like organized now? Who does what well, in the company? Yes, Daisy Dominga is the responsible for the marketing. Erika mm-hmm. uh, for the communication, and Marta for the administration. At the same time, our son-in-law, uh, my son-in-law, is the winemaker. Is the Director of the my consulting company, and the the the, the husband, my niece, is the responsible for the marketing in South America, Australia, and uh, China. Uh, the the younger uh, daughter is not married yet, so we are going to wait. Another sorry lot that work in the vineyard. Yeah, to... so you you have everything <laughs> organized. Your legacy yes. will continue yes, forever. Uh, please, 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 don't call me Godfather, please. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, listen. So my other question is a little bit heavy. Um, yes. It's a little because we have this problem with wine labeling um, issue right now. Um, with um, health warning, um, which the EU is considering. Can you tell us a little bit about this situation, where we are, and what is your, in your professional um, opinion, what can happen? And what can we do as the wine industry? Because, of course, this will affect all of us. Perché c'è questa legge, no? Stanno proponendo per... Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. È, è un problema serio per tutti noi che si occupa della right. promozione, della comunicazione e del, e del vino in generale. Yeah. Quindi yeah. quali sono le, uh, diciamo, tue prospettive? In che direzione stiamo andando? E cosa noi possiamo fare gli addetti ai lavori per aiutare meglio a comunicare questa situazione? Well, um, it's a very, very important, difficult uh, moment about the communication for the wine from the settled people, settled countries, no? Okay, uh, the Irish people want to write in the big, big label some bad phrase that we we don't like, absolutely, because the wine, respect to the other product like whiskey, like rum, like cognac, no? is another, another product, it's another story. The wine comes from the grapes, from the, the, the soil. So the wine, we, we say that if you consume the wine with the moderation, so the wine can be very useful for the, the life of the people. Like so many uh, people that study the wine, you know, say, think about the French paradox, for example, no? about the resveratrol. That is very much for the for the ancient people, for the whole people, no, about the the broad circulation. So, but at this moment we have some some journalists, especially some journalists that 
just to to fool the page of the newspaper write very bad fake news about the wine so like uh, winemakers we are we organized just two, two weeks ago very important symposium to naples called so many people from the united states from france from italy from germany that introduced the study the experiment that they made in the people that consume with moderation the wine they had the advantage about many parts of the, the body especially for the the heart especially for the for the stomach for the digestion so in other in other places that people say no 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 the wise no don't consume the wine but don't say don't consume the alcohol they say don't consume the wine this is a very bad bad way to introduce this problem because the wine sometimes 10 percent of alcohol no more than 15 percent of alcohol think about cognac 50 percent of alcohol think about vodka 60 percent of alcohol the yeah, and what, this what, one, not the wine. yeah and i mean the irish i remember that they uh, want to link yeah. the label directly to yeah. cancer for example yeah, right yeah, or liver yeah. disease it's very yeah. very harsh absolutely but so um, I don't put the fault in Irish people because uh, this country has the highest percentage of the drunk people. Mm-hmm. So, in a certain sense, they try to protect the people, but at the same time, they offend the wine. Maybe they can write in the background, don't consume the super alcohol. Don't consume grappa, don't consume vodka, because the, the alcohol is very, very high. At this moment, I think the, the law is not entered in the, in the Irish people, but because all the country producers, like French, Italy, Spanish, Portugal, and Germany, say to the European community, please, please, if you write in the back label on the label, cancer and wine are very close. You can you can find the back label. Please, don't eat too much too much uh, bread. Don't eat too much meat. Don't yeah, eat, or sugar. Don't, don't, or sugar. Yeah. Why not? Don't smoke. No, okay, I don't want to speak. I don't like to speak about the cigarette. But everything that you consume in a great quantity. Is very dangerous for the for the, the body for the for the human for your consumer. health. Mm-hmm. No, but so but why, Ricardo, why? but Ricardo, my question is, what do you think will happen now in the next, you know, few years down the road? About this problem? Yeah, about this problem because it is a problem. Actually, the uh, you know, I was running three different events here in New York and New Jersey. And we were all very concerned about this. Well, uh, it depends how long will be this story. Mm-hmm. Because it uh, could be a very particular moment. Is the, I think that if we are going to, to, to show that it's not true, okay, probably... Uh, not just the Irish people, but also the world, could be convinced that a very, a very um, 
moderate consume of the wine is not dangerous, is useful for the, for the health. But it depends how long is going to be the story. Okay, because every year, every, every day today in your newspaper, magazine, TV, the people speak. Alcohol, health, wine, cancer. Uh, so it's a bad story. But we have so many people that are convinced that is a, is a fake news. But uh, at the moment, I can say what will be the real consequence. I hope that to finish as soon as possible. Right. So how can we keep up with the news? <laughs> Do you, like at Asonology, have oh, yes. um, constant update of this information? Where can we tell our ambassadors to look for additional information? Of course, we have the internet, but... Do, um, yeah. Does Asonology, for example, are particularly um, um, aware and committed to engaging in communication about this policy? Unfortunately, the Asonology is the only association that is in the world for this reason, because every day we have the communication uh, about the study of the, uh, the very important people in this, uh, in this place, Mm -hmm. uh, we are our student experiment. Um, we organized this symposium in Napoli, and they were going to organize a very important another symposium to Bruxelles, uh -huh. close to the European community. Yeah, that's probably will also be very important, right? Yes, absolutely. So in this way, um, I will I will contact with the president of Verona Fieri because I want to involve also Verona Fieri in this uh, in this project. Fiere, the Ministero Agricultura. Uh, so I can, I can imagine the consequence. I hope that in a few days this discussion can finish. Right. Okay. Well, let's hope so. Let's cross our fingers. Uh, time is up yeah. for now. So, Tanya, did you want to add anything? I saw your mic. <laughs> no, okay. no. I, um, I'm just, I'm here. And I, <clears throat> I, did, I have been following this story a little bit um, in the, um, on, on social media and the, mm -hmm. um, Esologia has, you know, been posting articles, including a really nice one that Ricardo wrote. And so, um, not every day, but periodically they are posting things on Facebook about this subject. Okay, great. So that will be very good for us, our community and the ambassadors. Thank you so much. Laika, can you just come on for one second? Tell us what's up next. So next is going to be on February 2. So we will have Julie, Julie Pariker. She's here on the stage. Uh, she's here in one of the audience. Um, and she will be interviewing Juliet. Okay, we, you sound like you're under submarine or something, so we can't hear you very well. But And is, it, is that next Thursday? Yeah, uh, it's next Thursday. I'm okay, so 6 p.m., our usual slot. We're back next week. So thank you so much, Ricardo. Ciao, Tanya. Ciao a tutti. Ciao. Ciao. Grazie. Ciao. Grazie mille. Okay. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.